Welcome back to the Seriously Stem Cells podcast, where we discuss everything stem cells. I'm Pim, and I'm Ayo. On today's episode, we are going to continue our exploration into the world of stem cells. If you recall, we kicked off our first episode with figuring out what stem cells actually are. We defined them as a population of self-renewing cells, meaning that stem cells will divide to make more stem cells. Then they have the ability to specialise into various types of cells that make up the body. There are two main types of stem cells, which are embryonic stem cells. So these are stem cells that come from a structure called the blastocyst that forms during the early stages of embryonic development and also adult stem cells, which can be found in specific locations in the adult body, such as bone marrow. We also mentioned that stem cells can be categorised by their potency. Potency just refers to how many different types of cells can be generated from that one stem cell. For example, total potent cells can generate any of the cells in the human body, whereas multipotent cells are a little bit more restricted as they can only specialize into cells within a specific lineage, of which there are three, ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm. We then introduced the concept of a stem cell niche, which is a microenvironment that influences the behavior of stem cells through both factors from within and outside the stem cells. We discussed the paper by Adams et al, published in 2008 in the Nature Journal, entitled, No Place Like Home, anatomy and function of a stem cell niche. In this article, niches for four specific types of multipotent stem cells are highlighted, which are hematopoietic, neural, epithelial, and intestinal stem cells. Stem cell niches have become a real interest to scientists because changes in stem cell niches directly affect stem cells themselves, which provides insight into diseases and age-related changes we see in our body. This also presents a unique therapeutic target that could revolutionize how we treat various diseases. There's our quick recap of episode one, but if you didn't manage to listen to that episode or you want a little more detail, feel free to check out our website at seriouslystemcells.wordpress.com forward slash where you can find both the podcast and the corresponding introductory blog posts. In this episode, we're going to take a deep dive into the stem cell niche for hematopoietic stem cells, which um, is a niche for bone-forming cells called osteoblasts and endothelial cells, which are a component of blood vessels. Um, we'll, go- we'll cover the importance of hematopoietic stem cells, highlight mm-hmm. some of the diseases that are associated with these cells, and then explore some of the therapeutic options that utilise these hematopoietic stem cells. Um, we'll also suggest some ways in which increasing our understanding of stem cell niches can impact our therapeutic options to tackle diseases like cancer. First, we must understand the importance of the system, which HSC is a part of, which is known as hematopoiesis. Uh, the study of hematopoietic system through research has revealed beneficial aspects of hematopoietic cell transplants which is a treatment used for patients suffering from blood and immune disorders, which will be discussed later in detail with Ayo. But more importantly, 
The understanding of the system allows us to see the root cause of abnormal blood and immune cell development at the protein and molecular levels, of which are information that enables us to treat these diseases. Uh, first, we must understand that HSC contains a self-renewal, uh, which is pluripotent. That means that stem cells can make more of itself or choose to differentiate into blood lineages, uh, myeloid and lymphoid in particular. From the primary source of the HSC-derived progenitor cells, which is the bone marrow. So a quick recap or biology lesson. Uh, myeloid lineage refers to all cells developing from the myeloid progenitor, or CMP for short, uh, in the bone marrow. Myeloid progenitors differentiate into monocytes, granocytes, uh, erythrocytes, or red blood cells, and platelets. Um, all of which are part of the innate immune system and serves as the first line of defense against pathogens. Um, the lymphoid lineage, however, refers to the, to the, you guessed it, all cells developed from lymphoid progenitor or lymph, lymphoblasts in the bone marrow. Lymphoid progenitors differentiate into B lymphocytes, T lymphocytes and natural killer cells all of which act as adaptive immune response, unlike the innate response. This line of defense against foreign pathogens enables us to distinguish the various types of diseases, disease-causing pathogens. That's right, Ayo. Now that we have acknowledged the role of hematopoiesis in producing cell lineages, it begs the question of how the production of HHC and blood cells are being regulated and maintained. Research made us realize that it has to do with the turnover rate of progenitors of different proliferative and developmental capacity. To clarify, within the hemopoietic system, there is a hierarchy of differentiation. HSC sits at the top and differentiates into itself and also effector cells. The effector cells are found to have more proliferative potential, meaning that they have a better chance to be fine-tuned than HSCs. In turn, the system subjected HSC to less proliferation and so less subjected to mutagent of DNA replication. This means they are less likely to develop mutations in HSC. It sounds like the hematopoietic system have got the regulation figured out, but it does not come without its flaws. The progenitors are multipotent and oligopotent, which means they might be more useful than HSC to replenish patients with new blood cells, but they lack the self-renewal characteristic like HSC, making the reconstitution of blood lineages in patients impermanent. This is why HSC is still a very important component in organ, tissues, and bone marrow transplantation. With that being said, some HSC give rise to daughter HSC through asymmetric division to ensure that the pool of stem cells don't become depleted. In this pool, there is a mixture of long-term, intermediate, and short-term HSCs. The cell production of myeloid and lymphoid lineages is dependent on HSC, so having a storage of HSC for a rainy day is quite important. A part of a long-term HSC is quesin HSC. This is stored in the case of hypoxic bone marrow environment or environment lacking of oxygen and is regulated through signaling pathways of MEG and mTOR. Both function as pathways signaling proliferation and growth of the cell. The important thing to know of this is that HSC exits the cell cycle, phase G0, to become quesin, 
Although a method of measuring quasin HSC may exist, many still debate what are the extrinsic and intrinsic factors that affects the quasin HSC production. Many research have been conducted to investigate this topic, and I was going to give the first example of it. So an example is the discovery of the knockout of inhibitor genes, so CDKN2 and MYB. Um, this allows the cell cycle to go on as normal, and it doesn't exit at G0 fate that Pim mentioned. Um, this results in the lowering the repopulation of the hemopoietic stem cells. N-catarin was another intrinsic factor thought to reduce the repopulation of HSC. N-catarin is a cell adhesion molecule that is thought to be expressed in hematopoietic stem cells. However, in the 2009 research done by Kyle and his colleagues suggests that N-catarin has no role in HSC storage regulation as most of the HSCs cannot be found at the endosteel surface of the bone marrow. It was also noted that the loss of N-catarin does not lead to HSC depletion. Well, that's a really interesting fact to know and now we're just going to move on to the intrinsic factor that is thought to affect the long-term chimerism of the donor of bone marrow transplantation. So for a quick recap, okay, um, chimerism is the state of the recipient after the transplantation from a donor. Um, it would usually be 100% chimerism after transplantation as the recipient receives 100% of the donor cells but after a while, the cells will be mixed again as new recipient cells are produced. So this concept was coined with since 1956 with allogeneic transplantation chimeras that were tolerant of donor strain skin. Upon this research of HSC roles in transplantation to reconstitute bone marrow function, what was originally understood of engrammin rejection and a complicated method which was implemented to avoid the rejection, has changed. The understanding of HSC role in self and non-self immune recognition were accepted. The basis of non-self immune recognition was key to introducing a new method that prevent rejection. As non-self antigens of donor cells are recognized by T cells, by lowering the CD4 plus T cells, or known as T helper cells, to a sufficient level that prevents a minor histocompatibility mismatch HFC and provides a sufficient HFC reconstitution to immunodeficient diseases. This method is called lymphodepletion, which will be further discussed with Ayo later. So to include my part, the study of intrinsic and extrinsic factors associated with HFC production has illuminated the general mechanism of transplanted stem cells that can functionally engraft recipients by using specific and transient lymphodepletion without cytotoxic PrEP regimens. From the research and improved understanding of the um, immune cells and how our immune system works, I believe that it is a way forward in transplantation. As we mentioned before, hemopoietic stem cells specialise into various kinds of blood cells. Consequently, the diseases that are linked to hematopoietic stem cells have their effect on the body, on the body's blood circulatory system and the immune system. Um, some examples of these diseases include leukaemia, MS and SCIDS. We'll get into how these can be treated in a little bit, 
But before that, we'll have a quick dive into what's going wrong in these three sample conditions. So you're all probably quite familiar with the collection of cancers that affect blood cells called leukemia. But um, there are many types of leukemia that are distinguishable by the specific components of the blood that they affect. Um, there's also multiple sclerosis, commonly abbreviated to MS, and severe combined immunodeficiency, or SCID for short. Both are conditions that result from dysfunction in the immune system. MS is an autoimmune condition in which the body's immune system attacks itself by breaking down the insulated component of our neurons called myelin sheath. This has a deleterious effect on the spine and brain, resulting in symptoms such as pain and muscle spasms. Skid patients, on the other hand, are missing specialized white blood cells that impairs the function of their immune systems and their ability to fight off disease. So what may be a common childhood illness of chickenpox for the individual with a healthy immune system can become a life-threatening condition for a child with cysts. Yeah, but thankfully, we, um, as we needed to earlier, over the past few decades, stem cell transplantation has become a viable treatment option for patients. There are generally five steps to conducting hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. So step one is mobilizing or harvesting the hematopoietic stem cells. These are the th there are three main sources of stem cells, which include bone marrow, uh, umbilical cord blood, and mobilized peripheral blood. Bone marrow can be harvested from an individual's posterior iliac crest, um, which is a segment of their pelvis. Such a patient would undergo general anesthesia, they would get an epidural um, and uh, that would be carried out by a hematolo hematologist. Umbilical cord blood could be collected just after birth and stored under extremely cold conditions in cryogenic nitrogen tanks. And then lastly, peripheral blood stem cells are um, require the mobilization of these hematopoietic stem cells um, from the bone marrow um, to move to the peripheral blood. And we do this using growth factors or through myelosuppressive chemotherapy, which is a way of intentionally decreasing the activity in the bone marrow. So step two is conditioning. Uh, in this step, they utilizes chemo and radiotherapy to destroy cells affected by the disease and make room for donor hematopoietic stem cells to engraft. So this is similar to what was mentioned before with lymphodepletion regimen is being used to reduce the likelihood of donor cells rejection by the patient. This is especially vital when the HSCs are sourced from a donor. So when they are sourced from a donor, this is called allogeneic therapy or transplantation. Uh, if they are not, and they are harvested from the patient themselves, they are called autologous. The human leukocyte antigen tissue type system, or HLA, determines whether a donor sample of HSC will be accepted or rejected. This is because we have proteins on the surface of all our cells called antigens that indicate to the CD4 T cells of our immune system, whether they are foreign or indeed belonging to the body. So as previously mentioned, through this lymphodepletion, it prevents this process from occurring. And then moving on to step three is the reinfusion stage. Um, so this stage, the hemopoietic stem cells are reintroduced to the patient to repopulate the HSC, those hemopoietic stem cells, um, to increase the population in the bone marrow. In step four, neutrophenic phase is 
comment following the chemo and radiotherapy. HSE population decreases, and neutrophils, which is a type of white blood cells, is below 500 cells, a lot lower than the normal 15 to 7,000 cells. So in this phase, there is an increased risk of infection, and symptoms such as tiredness and pain may occur. And then step five is the engraftment and recovery stage. So with allogeneic donor transplantations, there's a risk of engraftment syndrome, which results in various complications、um, that can affect the pulmonary, pulmonary, neurological, and cardiac systems, as well as many other systems in the body.、Um, these complications can have an early or late onset,、um, but to reduce the likelihood of a patient experiencing、um, That's experiencing these side effects.、Um, the closer HLA matched the donor and the recipient are will help this. The lower the risk of engraftment syndrome, basically.、Um, however, where it is not possible to obtain closely matched donor recipient hemopoietic stem cells or umbilical cord blood, haploidentical transplantation is used. This refers to half matched donors in which half of the HLA. Match the recipients, and immunosuppressive regimens are utilized to protect the patient. The final stage is step six, in which doctors follow up with the patient, and assessments of how effective the treatment has been can be carried out. This outlines how diseases like leukemia and MS can be treated using HSC. The disease cells are destroyed, and HSC replaces degenerated, healthy blood cells to replace those previously destroyed. However, for some SID or severely combined immunodeficiency disorders, it can be treated using HSC gene therapy. Gene therapies alter the genetic information in our cells in order to treat a disease at its origin. This can involve replacing, correcting, or deleting a gene in a set of cells. Gene therapy can be carried out in vivo inside the body or ex vivo, meaning outside the body. Target site-specific gene editing can take place in vivo using engineered nucleases. CRISPR-Cas9 is an example of an engineered nuclease that works by causing double-strand DNA breaks at a specified site on a chromosome, which then activates a DNA repair pathway. This allows a donor DNA segment to be placed into the HSC genome. A vector is required to carry this engineered nuclease to the cells in the body via an injection. This is commonly done by using a lentivirus or lipid nanoparticles.、Uh, HSC gene therapy can also be ex vivo, and an example of this is seen in a clinical trial carried out by Condie B and colleagues, funded in part by the National Institute of Health, and published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2021. So, 50 ADA adenosine deaminase deficiency SCID patients. From both the UK and the US, were infused with autologous hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells. Prior to infusion, ex vivo lentiviral vectors carrying the ADA gene, which is lacking in patients with ADA SCID, was incorporated into the harvest、uh, hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells. They followed up 36 months later to find 100% and 90%, 97%. Event-free survival of patients in the UK and the USA, respectively, meaning that enzyme replacement therapy or rescue HSC transplantation was not required. 
This was in addition to high levels of sustained engraftment and normal ADA functionality. Furthermore, no graft free host disease occurred, nor autoimmunity was detected in any of the patients. The highlight impact of gene therapy in improving patients' quality of life and transplantation recovery, and in article published in Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News, Chelsea Oakley, a mother to one of the 50 patients in clinical trial, described her young daughter's HSC gene therapy as a life-changing treatment that felt like a miracle. This was after seeing other bone marrow patients suffer from graft-versus-host disease, even after taking immunosuppressing medication. Various researchers are looking for ways to improve the gene therapies to treat blood diseases. Improving our understanding of the factors that influence HSC and its stem cell niche may present more therapeutic targets that can enhance the gene therapy options for a wider range of blood diseases. Ex vivo expansion strategies aim to increase the self-renewal and proliferation of HSC. A key target for this is transcriptional factors which regulate self-renewal and proliferation. These transcription factors may provide a way to control the levels of quiescent HSC and to reduce the HSC that is deteriorating with age. This could be beneficial to patients as the quality of HSCs and its shelf life will be enhanced reducing the frequency of HSC extractions required. This becomes a less taxing process for patients. Future research may develop to the point where patients can have their own specific HSCs through transcription factor regulation. We'll be able to develop comprehensive ways to maintaining HSCs in vitro and employ the safest means of genetically reprogramming HSCs. In doing so, limit the risk of mutagenesis caused by pro-oncogene, gene most at risk of having mutations, from being activated. The one company I can think of is Bluebird Bio. They develop therapies based on genetic engineering for blood disorders like sickle cell anemia and beta thalassemia. So last year, one of the drugs was uh, approved by the FDA called Syntaglo, the first gene therapy for beta thalassemia patients. So with this curative treatment, Patients affected by this disease are not to be dependent on regular red blood cells transfusion anymore. That means that there's a lot less burden on the patient um, after the treatment. I really find this news to be very exciting. Uh, what about you, Ayo? Well, it's super exciting and um, it's very exciting to see how gene therapies are more specific and they're not just more options, but they're better treatments as well. So mm. it's very exciting. Yeah, I definitely think that the food therapeutic potential of HSC has not yet been fully explored. But the amazing advancement that we've seen over the past decades have made, um, I guess, us very excited to see what's coming up next in the field and um, explore more for this topic. Yeah. And now I just wanted to end the um, episode with um, ha- wishing all the listeners to have a good day. Make sure to join us in our next episode and check out our blog post at seriouslystemcells.wordpress.com forward slash as we continue our exploration of stem cells. But for now, from me, Pim. And from me, Ayo, have a lovely day and don't forget to take stem cells very seriously.